Amen. So many thank yous to be given right now, but I am thankful for my most important thing. Wow, I'm telling you, man, I'm going, I'm putting it, I'm keeping this, man. I, I, I love that because it, you know, I was thinking about the Gideon when he broke, when they broke the vessel, then that's when the light shines, you know, and I'm going to use that. I will, that was good. And weren't the truths that you just heard life changing? I mean, that was just phenomenal. And we're just going to put a little caboose onto that. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, I just came up with a new definition of a great conference. You know what the new definition of a great conference is? Is the ones that are the speakers later in the week, they change their messages because of what they heard in the conference, and it changed their life. So guys, I'm giving you a break. And I talked to a Dr. Jim, and I'm giving you a break. You don't have to do the slides because that's not the message I'm going to preach because of what God has done in my life at this conference. Now, Eve, I told him to put up the slide, the title slide. The greatest is, everyone together, charity. Yeah, I messed up on the slide too because it's not love. It's the word charity. That's found in your scripture. You say, Bill Schiller, somebody came by and told you that? Uh-huh. The Holy Spirit. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The greatest of these is everyone together? Charity. 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 All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now we're going to come back to the passage because we're going to walk through a little bit of the description a little bit later on in the message. But uh, we're going to start with our text, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11, 12, and 13. Now, I did change my message. It only has two points and therefore an hour for each. No, no, no. I I really just want to jump on to what Brother Gilmore has taught us this morning and just kind of put it through like a filter uh, of using the attribute of God's love because this is what I have learned. Um, I'll tell you the two points right now. Number one, God's love should be our motivation. Now, you would find that in the notes that I had for the message I was going to give, that you would find that God's love should be our motivation. I'm going to talk a little bit about motivation, and I, and I do believe that the highest level uh, uh, of motivation is love, and, and we're going to talk about that. But let me tell you what's happened in my life in the last five days is point number two. God's love should be our means. So now this is the thing I just, I, I've never understood before. I always knew that God's love should be the motivation of what we do. But I didn't understand that it's God's love that accomplishes it and does it in us and through us. And that's what I, uh, I just am very excited about. That is what has really, I left my hotel room today. And when I left, I stood at the door and I said, God, in all my years of travel, this has been the best hotel room I have ever been in because of your presence in my life in this hotel room. In all my years of travel, I stood at the door when I walked out and I said, God, 
I have never enjoyed you more in a hotel room than I have this week. And I really mean that. And I just really praise the Lord for that. That was, just, And it, it's because of point number two. I've always known that God's love needs to be my motivation. But I've never really understood that it's God's love that is the way that it gets done. And that it's by God's love, not, not mine, but by God's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so therefore this fits perfectly. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I went to victory conference, I became a man. (laughs) I put away my childish thinking. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, everyone together, charity. These things, but the, everyone together, let's finish it. But the, it is of these, is charity. Father, may the motivation of what we leave with May we be motivated by this extreme love. May we remember that it is, Father, it is unconditional. It is unbelievable until we start believing it. And Father, it is unstoppable. When we saw that map this morning, and we saw 8 billion people The love of God is stronger than any other force. It's unstoppable. And when I looked at the map, I really wasn't overwhelmed. Not if we're overwhelmed with your love. And Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today, especially in the area that I learned this week. Lord, you say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, how many preacher boys have I told Taste it before serving it. And God, thank you that we got to taste it. And now, Lord, may I serve it the way you want it to be served. And Father, I ask and pray that today we would not only see that love is our motivation for ministry, but it's your love that's going to do it. And Lord, may we empty ourselves, may we be broken, and may we let the extreme love that we heard all about this week flow through us. May we just be that vessel, Lord. And uh, how many times did Brother Rabin pray that we be a conduit? And Lord, I pray that that's what we'll be. We'll be the conduit of the extreme love of God. And it'll be your love that accomplishes what is so needed in our country, in our world, and even in the churches that we're going back to. Boy, they need the extreme love in our churches. May we be the conduit that brings your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, number one is God's love should be our motivation. Take your Bibles. We're coming back to this 1 Corinthians passage, but take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And as I began to put this thing all through, I, I, um, you know, I, you know, again, we, I think we were all will never be the same after that performance, um, 
message on performance Christianity. And uh, I guess that's an oxymoron now. But, uh, but let me just uh, mention what was going through my mind was in Romans chapter 7 as I heard that. And I appreciated what Brother Gilmore said. Man, the law is spiritual, folks. The law is good. The law is the express will of God. When we look at the law in the Bible, we know what our God is like by the laws. The law is spiritual. And oh, now it it brought us guilt when we were lost, but now it becomes our guide. How do I express my love towards my wife? I love my wife. I just say, Marilee, I just love you. Well, start doing this, this, and this if you say you love me. These are the things that I need done for me, Jim. These are the things that I, I need as a husband. So there's, there's things that I do because I love my wife. And I thought about Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be, everyone together, dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then it, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, whoa, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is, everyone together, free from that law. So that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which we were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now, We are delivered from the law. Now listen, that being dead wherein, I got to make sure I got my glasses here, that being dead, I I got so excited, I ripped my Bible right there. But (laughs) I get some scotch tape or something, but that being dead wherein, we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So let me give you an illustration. Let's say we had a wife that was married to an ogre. This man was mean. This man was demanding. This man told her everything she had to do. 
what time she had to wake up, 5.30 in the morning, the way he wanted his eggs, the way that the table had to be set, the way that everything had to be done, what she was to do while he was gone at work, that the way that she was supposed to scrub the floors and do the laundry and take care of this and the yard and everything and all of these commandments and all of these rules and all of these laws that she was under and she did everything that she could and every time she tried to do it she fell short and she tried to go man I I'm trying to do what my husband wants me to do but as soon as I do that he tells me something else and then I did this wrong I can't live by this and the husband dies and God's people said amen And she marries another, another who loves her, another who takes care of her, another that shows her unconditional love. And she's married to this new husband and every day is a honeymoon and it goes on for weeks and months and years. And after being married to the second husband, after 10 years, she realizes something. I got, up at te- I got up at 5.30 this morning and I cooked eggs exactly the way my husband wants them. And I'm going to be cleaning the floor later on today and I'm doing the lawn. Oh, oh I'm doing the same things. But now my motivation is so different. Not because I have a husband that tells me I have to, but now because I have a husband who loves me and I want to. The motivation of love is the highest of all motivations. There are four motivations why we do everything in our life. And by the way, they are biblical, all four of them. The lowest is fear. We do sometimes do things out of fear. What will happen to me if I don't do it? The second level of motivation is reward. And the Bible is full of you do this, I will reward you. You honor me, I'll honor you. And there is rewards. The judgment seat of Christ. There are rewards why we do what we do. The third is duty. And we do certain things because we know we ought to do them. They are our duty. The Bible teaches to be motivated by fear, by reward, and by duty. But the highest level of motivation is love. Now, one thing I've learned in life, I've had coaches, I've had teachers, I've had pastors. One thing I've learned You never motivate anyone higher than the level that you're motivated at. If you're motivated out of fear, reward, and duty as a pastor, that will be your church. Your church will not go to a higher level of motivation than what you're motivated at. That's why it is imperative, pastors, that we leave with the motivation of love 
Man, if you've ever had a teacher or a coach that was motivated by the love of his players or, or students and the love of their subject, that is just like the greatest setting to be in. That when a student comes in, they go like, man, this teacher is consumed. This teacher loves what they're teaching and they love me. And you put those two together, I'm telling you, things will happen under that. We will never motivate higher than the level that we're motivated at. Over the years, this goes all the way back to my days at Pensacola, I used to do this. Whenever I'd go speak at a camp, and i do about, I don't know, about six about average about six camps a summer. And whenever there were students from PCC or whenever there were students from West Coast, at the end of the week, all my students said, you know, I'm teaching at West Coast or whatever. I asked the camp director if I could spend a little time with them. I said, it won't be long. And I know they got to come from operational staff and I know they got to leave their, their campers for a little bit. But could I have 15 minutes with them? And all the directors, kind of reluctantly sometimes, but they always let me have that. And there's not a lot. There may be um, between four and maybe 10 of our students that are counselors. And when they come in, I said, hey, man, it's been a great week. I said, thank you guys for serving. Hey, you're getting to use everything you got in the classroom. Way to go. I said, I got something for you. And I give every one of those students, counselors, two $5 bills. And I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of those $5 bills this weekend, and I want you to spend it on yourself. Get a drink, do your laundry. Some of you need to do that, whatever it might be. But get a drink. I want you to get something that you want for yourself for that five. I know it ain't going to be much, but uh, that's because that's all they gave me as an honorarium. So uh, no, no. <laughs> no, I know it's not going to be much, but I, I, I'm going to give you five dollars, and you got to spend it on yourself. And I look at those counselors and I say, now, "Okay, what did I just say? Five dollars spend on uh, on ourselves? Yeah. Well, here's what I want you to do." I want you to take the other $5 and I want you to do something for somebody else for that $5. And yet, West Coast students, they'll literally say, can we spend both $10? No, 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 no. $5 on yourself or give it back right now. You got to spend $5 on yourself. And then I want you to spend $5 on somebody else. And after you do both, I want you to ask yourself, what did you enjoy more? Amen. And whatever you enjoyed more, do it the rest of your life. Whatever, if you enjoy spending that $5 on you, do it the rest of your life. Live for yourself. But if you enjoyed doing something for somebody else with that $5 more than you enjoyed spending on yourself, do that the rest of your life. And I love when those students get back to college and they said, Dr. Cheller, that was so cool. I knew what the answer was going to be already, but it was so great to experience it. I'm going to live for me the rest of my life. <laughs> never, never. You know why? Because the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hey, I want to tell you something. When your motivation is love, it's amazing the difference that it makes in people's lives. Now, how do you know, Jim, when it's not motivated by God's love? 
I mean, like, you know, we're going to go back. And, and, and how do we know that we have the right motivation? Now, let me tell you something. That is an extremely good question. First of all, you got to pray. Take your Bibles and turn now to Philippians chapter 1. I was kind of hoping no one would mention this passage, and nobody has, because I said, thank you, Lord. There's just a little tidbit that nobody said that I think is one of the coolest things about the love of God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi in this first chapter is an amazing prayer. But listen to verse number 9, Philippians chapter 1. And this I pray, that your love may abound. Yeah, that your love will abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. We don't just need love expressed. We need knowledgeable love with judgment guiding our love. We don't just, we just need to go back and just love. No, you don't. You need to go back with knowledgeable love and love that is discerning. Say, Brother Scheller, I need an illustration. Well, good, I got one. So, um, now my wife and I have an interesting marriage. I like things that I know a lot of wives should be doing. And she likes things that I know a lot of husbands should be doing. Okay, first of all, my wife is my accountant. And I'm gonna, I got a little something I'm going to mention here in a minute. I'm telling you, my wife takes care of all of our finances. Number two, I love to cook. I just, I, since I was a kid, I just really enjoy cooking. So, I, and merrily, that's not her thing, trust me. And, uh, and it worked out really well, you know. And, uh, and I love to cook. I'll tell you something Marilee loves to do. She loves gardening. And I mean, not just the little flower stuff. I mean, like, she loves to do, like, the sprinkler systems. And she gets so upset with me when I mow the, I mow the lawn. But she does all the sprinklers. And she says, Jim, you keep breaking the sprinklers with the lawnmower. And I said, well, what's the problem? Does the water still come out? <laughs> and I, she says, Yes. And the water just comes out and it just bubbles there and it doesn't go where it's supposed to go. Stop breaking the sprinkler heads because the sprinkler heads put the water where it needs to go. Listen to James or Philippians chapter 1. And this I pray that you, your love may come out like a sprinkler yet more and more in where it's supposed to go and how much it's supposed to go on the lawn. Do you understand? It isn't that we just go back and just love, but that our love has got knowledge and it's got judgment to it. There is a discerning love. You know what, Brother Scheller, I'm telling you, you independent Baptists so badly needed this conference because you guys just don't love. You know what? And what you call love is just bubbling and it's destroying the lawn. You're not spreading it out the way it's supposed to be. It's not discernible and it's not knowledgeable as well. So how do you know when it's not motivated by God's love? I just put down a few things, but you could, you could add to this list. Lies are not love. Lies are not love. Matter of fact, in the first Corinthians 13 passages, love rejoices not in iniquity. 
to tell or to show love to somebody that's living an alternative lifestyle and accept that because we got to love them, that's a lie. You are not loving that person. Lies, things that are not, yeah, but you know what? I don't want my spouse to ever find that out. If they did, that would really hurt them. No, no, your sin hurts, but not the truth. Truth doesn't, it is never a loving thing to lie. You know, I, I may need to get up and say some things to the church, but we're not going to, we're going to kind of bend the truth a little bit because it'll, they'll receive it. Now, I believe there's discernment. There's certain things that the flock doesn't need to know. Wow, yeah. But I'll tell you, whatever you tell the flock, it's true. Well, no, I, I can't do that because I love the flock. No, that's not the right kind of love, bud. It is not motivated from the right thing if it's lie. Lies are not love. I wrote down something else. This is huge. Now, I know, pastors, after I give this point, you're going to say, man, you're coming to my church and preaching this. Okay. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'll tell you what is not love is picking up other people's offenses. That is destroying our churches right now. And they're doing it under the name of love. I love you. And pastor did something wrong. The church staff did something wrong. And I love you so much, I'm going to pick up your offense. That is not love. That motivation does not come from the Holy Spirit. You never pick up anyone else's offense. I was a sophomore at PCC. I was 19 years old. And the guy, there was a guy there. He was the dean of students. He had the greatest influence in my life. Uh, and when I was at college, I mean, just, he was only there for two years. And that's my story. His name was Dr. Ron Godwin. And I love Dr. Godwin. He's my favorite teacher, my favorite chapel speaker. I did everything I could with Dr. Godwin. He'd, he, sometimes he'd, he'd come down to my room and say, hey, Shetler. He, by the way, I loved it. He never called me Jim. Never. And that was like a term of endearment. Shetler! I love it. <laughs> Dr. Godwin's calling, you know. But he, he, I'm telling you, the guy never called me Jim one time in my entire life. And it was always Shetler, and I just thought that was the greatest thing. So we'd go play tennis together. I loved Dr. Godwin. Well, rumor got out. Dr. Ron Godwin was leaving PCC. And I said, man, I'm telling you. Dr. Godwin leaves PCC, I'm leaving PCC. Because I'm telling you right now, Dr. Godwin, he is PCC to me. I said, man, he's leaving, I'm out of here. So I said, man, I got to find this out. So it was the spring of my sophomore year, and I made an appointment with with Dr. Godwin, and I come in, and he says, Shetler, sit down. I said, what do you want? I, uh, oh, by the way, I gotta tell you this. So Dr. Godwin's like 6'4", and he's really gauntly. He's not like real muscular, but he's just an intimidating figure. And just the way that he handled himself, you just were intimidated by this guy, okay? So he says, Shetler, what do you want? I don't know. I'm not sure why I'm in here right now, you know? <laughs> I said, well... And I hear him and haw, and he says, Shetler, spit it out. What do you want? Well, there's a rumor. <laughs> a rumor? What's the rumor, Shetler? That you're leaving. And Dr. Godwin, if you're leaving, I'm leaving. You're the best thing about this college, Dr. Godwin. If you... Oh, shut up, Shetler. <laughs> what he does next is going to be life-changing. He takes his arm and takes his finger and sticks it across the desk and puts it right in my face. And he says, Shetler, 
If I leave here, that's none of your business. Whatever you do, Shetler, don't ever leave a place on someone else's red wagon. Shetler, if you ever leave this place, you make sure it's on your red wagon and not on someone else's. Yes, sir. That was really good advice because I ended up staying 29 years. And in the 29 years after that, I was there altogether 31 years, there were a lot of red wagons, Pastor, I could have jumped on. I don't feel like this was done right. Administration didn't handle this right. I'm jumping on that wagon. Boy, am I thankful that I never jumped on someone else's red wagon. But you know what? I've dealt with people that have, and do you know the guys that they jumped on that wagon? Their love. Well, that ain't love, friend. I guarantee you right now, do not pick up another's offense. That is not the love that we have heard about. I have one more. Don't be someone's Holy Spirit under the guise of love. Now, we've heard a lot about the Spirit of God this week. Why don't we let him be that? And we don't have to be that. And I have to say this, ladies. Oh, I wish you could hear my whole message, but I just got to say this. Ladies, don't be your husband's Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, let me tell you something. One thing I've learned about the Holy Spirit. If you ladies become your husband's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit won't work on your husband. But when you submit, God says, thank you. I'll take it from here. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is a better Holy Spirit than you are. And I want to tell you something. Just, I just share this. in the. But you, I know what you're saying, but I love my husband. And you know you do. And you're the best thing outside of the Holy Spirit that your husband has. You are. But allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. And under the name of love, don't be someone else's Holy Spirit. I want to tell you. I've been the dean of students for five, the last five years. And I know there were times that I tried to be the Holy Spirit in a college student's life, and it does not work. You'll lose every one of those students. But, but I love those students, and I do, guys. I love those students. But you know what? It's not love to be their Holy Spirit. That's up to God. You say, Brother Scheller, you have any more? Yeah, I have one more. This is an interesting one. I thought this would make a great example. Hospitality. Now, I want to just talk about this for a minute. Hospitality, the, the, the Greek word is actually a compound word that has phileo, a, a love of strangers. So if you're showing hospitality, Brother Scheller, you got the right love, right? Not necessarily. You can still have the wrong motivation. Well, how, do you, how in the world could you have people, strangers over to your house, and it ever be the wrong one? I'll show you exactly how. Is there tension because you're having people over? Does it have to be the best china and the best recipe? And does every room in the house have to be perfectly clean? And there's so much pressure on having somebody come over to your house. And when they get there, they got to be perfect. Oh, I just vacuumed that. Can you, let's go through this room instead. I don't want you to walk on the carpet. Okay, you know what? We could go to another house, you know? I mean, you know what? Think about it, though. Under the name of love, we'll have people come over to our house. But we ruin it when the flesh gets involved with it. 
And now the flesh has taken over our hospitality. You know, one of the greatest days of our ministry is when Merrily realized we could have people over to our house and give them pizza. We could have people over to our house and not clean every room, just as long as Jim puts the locks on the door. <laughs> but we could actually, and do you know what? When we started to do that, the people that came over were much more comfortable. Man, it isn't about getting your house a white glove. It's not about having the best food or the best china. It's about love. And when you're motivated with the right kind of love, hospitality comes across differently. Love should be our motivation. But this is what I want to talk about and we'll be done. God's love should be our means. I have never understood this. I have never figured this out until this week. Love should be the means, the how. The motivation is the why. But this is now the how. Now take your Bibles and per, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to get to chapter 13 in a minute. I want you to see 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a little bit on the motivation thing, but I, I missed this passage and you got to get this. We're familiar with this at the judgment seat. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 13. Every man's work shall, actually, this passage goes under the last point, but I got to give you this passage. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. It shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, look at the elements that's going to go through the fire. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Everyone together. What is this lectern made out of? Everyone together, what's it made out of? Wood. Is this a good lectern? Yeah, it is. Is it useful? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But when it goes to the fire, it'll burn away. See, Brother Shiller, I'm not sure I understand where you're going. You can do things on this earth that can be used. You can use wood, you can use hay, you can use stubble. Stubble starts fires, that's a good thing. You, you, you can use wood, hay, stubble. And it's not that your efforts won't be used by God. But at the judgment seat, they're going to all be burned away. Well, Brother Shetler, what does it mean by what sort it is? You know where it says, where, where the answer is? It's in the next chapter. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring it to light, the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Now, there's two things I got to tell you about this. Number one is... God doesn't just judge what we do. God judges why we do it. 
Therefore, love becomes the motivation. That's, so you can go out soul winning, and then it could be wood, hay, and stubble. Somebody could get saved. That didn't make it gold, silver, and precious stones. What makes it gold, silver, and precious stones is why you went out soul winning. The soul still got saved, folks. But the why will produce your reward at the judgment seat. And it's so important. But there is one other thing. According to verse 5, this is where it's really interesting. It does seem like we're not going to know all of our motivations until we get to heaven. I think we should strive. I think our goal, I think we, and I'm going to get to this in just a minute the, on the means, but I think we should say, Lord, I want to serve. Boy, I'm telling you, I'm leaving this conference saying, God, I, I have to serve you by love because that's the only way that it'll be accomplished. I need your love to accomplish it. So this is, but, but there may be things in my life where I don't know for sure what my motivation was. I, I want it to be love. That's where I'm headed. But, you know, did the flesh... Look, think of the things I just talked about. Hospitality. Uh, trying to help someone, but maybe going over the line and be, trying to be a Holy Spirit. Picking up another person's offense. Lies uh, that aren't, aren't love. So we may have the wrong motivation on something. We still should be striving for love to be our motivation. And then at the judgment seat, We'll find out our rewards aren't going to be on what we did. Our rewards are going to be on why we did it. And it's so important. Okay, now, now point number two. God's love should be our means. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now when I go through this list, you're going to say, Brother Shepherd, I have tried so hard. To do this, I, you know what? I, I don't mean to be me with you, Brother Shelley, but you know what? I hate chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Because every time I read it, I go like, man, I have fallen so short of this. Yeah, and that's the point of the exercise we're about to do. Let's look at this description, and I'm telling you, there's nobody in this room that in their flesh can do these things. Look at verse number four. Charity suffereth long. Otherwise, charity, by the way, charity this is my, I love this. Okay, so the reason why I got the wrong word up there, the King James translators, the word agape is not the noun form. Agape is the verb form. And, when, and in this chapter, the translators put the verb form of love, which is charity, which I think is the coolest thing in the world. Now we're gonna, we're gonna, there are times that agape is translated love, but I think it's very important in 1 Corinthians 13 that the King James translators really helped us by giving us the verb form of love. Because let me tell you, 1 Corinthians 13 is not about the noun, it is about the verb. And now it's Thursday. We have heard all about the noun all week long. Now it's time to do the verb agape. And now it's time, and I think it's so good that there's a different word, the word charity, speaking of an action of this love. Now, let's look at this. Charity suffereth long. Brother Shelley, do you have a thought on suffereth long? Yeah, the word patient. 
So already in my life, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a patient love. Okay, so already I have failed. I don't know, maybe you guys can go to the next one for you, but I'm already done right here. Charity suffereth long. I can't be that way. I do not have a patient love in me. Yeah, but, but it says you're supposed to have uh, patient love. It says right there, charity suffereth long. Yeah, and I I'm not doing that. Well, Brother Shelley, you need to get right with God. Well, I do. And the way that I need to get right with God is to be broken. And I'm going to give you another uh, a metaphor in a moment here. But to be broken so that it's going to be his love. Because you know what? My love is never going to be patient. So it's going to have to be Christ's love in me. I, yeah, I do not have patient love. But the Lord in me can give patient love. I can be patient towards other people if I allow God's love to do that in me. And is kind. Wow, that talks about the disposition of this love. Charity, envy it not. It's not jealous of other people and what they can do and what you don't have and how big their church is compared. Wow, charity, envy it not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It doesn't want recognition. Man, I got to tell you, that is not the kind of love I have. I have to have divine love to do that one. Doth not behave itself unseemly. It always does what is right. Love always does what is right. It seeketh not her own. Now that is the essence of agape love. The very essence is I am doing what I am doing not for myself with nothing to look forward to in returns. The very nature of everything we've talked about in extreme love is found in those four words, seeketh not her own. Love doesn't get it for self. Love gives it out. Seeketh not her own. I'm telling you right now, there isn't a person in this room we, we, Brother Ouellette talked about it, and we talked about the cherishing of our own flesh. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Boy, I love this one. Thinketh no evil. Okay, so that thinketh no evil is actually an accounting term. And you know what it means? Love doesn't keep records. Love doesn't keep receipts. So when I get home tomorrow, I got a two-day trip. When I get home tomorrow and uh, we get ready to, Marilee and I are traveling for two weeks, and the very first thing my wife's going to say to me after I say, honey, it was the greatest conference in the world, and I'm going to love you like you've never been loved. And she's going to give me a little peck on the cheek, and she says, well, that'll be good, Jim. And then she's going to say, give me the receipts. Oh, I, 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 I don't, I, I think you're in the car. I think, I think I put them in one of my suitcases. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're in my suit coat, I think. And the next day, on the day we leave, Jim, the receipts. Oh, Marilee, I lost a few of those. Okay, now listen, for business, that's terrible. But for life, that's great. Because some of you keep records on other people. Shame on you, pastor, that keeps receipts on your members. Hey, you owe me, man. What I did for you. Hey, the hospital visits, come on. What are we dealing with here? 
Love thinketh no evil. It doesn't keep receipts on other people. 